It's Eason Podcast number 133, and we're back with the big cat, Steve Anderson. Hey, Steve, how you been, man? Doing well. We really haven't been on in a while. You totally botched that opening. Yeah, let's do that again. Okay. Hi, I'm, hi, I'm George Tekmachov here with Steve the Big Cat Anderson for Boom. Eastern Podcast number 133. Hey, we nailed that one. <laughs> Leave them both in, though, right? Of course. Yeah. You know, it is our tradition to, you know, not lift the curtain, or I should say to lift the curtain of all the goings on in and around the podcast. And quite frankly, you know, it's that inside baseball that people seem to like. Yeah, you know, it reminded me of the old days when we used to podcast in the uh, legacy room. Oh, yeah. Yesterday, a guy left the factory and he had his he had like a Yeti bottle of some sort, you know, on top of his car. And of course Tyson and I were watching, seeing when it would fall off and if he would notice. And it did fall off and he did notice and recover his, uh, his bottle. But, you know, I thought that would have great made great podcast fodder right there. Well, maybe someday we'll have to get to a point where we go back and do it in the legacy room because, you know, some of our shining moments, leaf blower moments, Yes. Came came from having that kind of, a, you know, that environment. And so uh, we could work our way back to doing that if, uh, if that's something that you feel is uh, worth doing. The day will have to come, yep. All right. Hey, we just uh, had a big week of archery in Salt Lake City, exactly one mile up the road from the Easton Factory at the Easton Archery Center, where USA Archery, actually technically USOPC, put on the Olympic trials. It was a lengthy process. Um, you know, I, I think if you want to really test whether your team is going to perform as well as it can, this is the way to do it. But man, it is a long and grueling task to select that team the way they did it. And uh, credit to everybody participating, and particularly to those final four, the three team members and the alternates who, uh, you know, really really shown all week long we saw some great scores had reasonably good weather had a few windy days um but at the end of the day i honestly feel they picked the best possible team they could uh from this process yeah it was pretty clear i mean on the men's side it kind of worked out as we expected i would say we expected brady to be pretty pretty far and away the number one he was expected jack to be the clear number two, and he was. And then you needed a good, strong third to emerge, you know, someone who's shooting good right now. And I I looked through the list, and I thought there was about five guys who were capable of that. Sure. Sure enough, one of them really – he ended up pushing Jack a little bit. So we have a a good, clear third with Jacob Wookie. Absolutely. And, you know, Jacob has not had a high-profile – in terms of competing uh, a great deal uh, publicly in the last couple of years, uh, like anybody else, of course, when I say the last couple of years, I even mean before, you know, the uh, situation that uh, we're thankfully seemingly starting to get out of. But um, going into it, you know, he, he first couple days didn't really stand out as, as a huge contender. And then the third day, and then after that, the steamroller really gained momentum. And at one point, with only, I think, three matches to go, Jacob was actually in second place above Jack. 
You are part of a team, Jacob, that has had experience before. Your teammate Brady Ellison and you did brilliantly in London, and you've got Jack on your team now. How do you feel about your prospects for Paris? Yeah, definitely looking forward to Paris. You know, with as strong as everybody was shooting on this field, to be able to come out uh, in the top three uh, is pretty incredible and really uh, excited for Paris, I would say, because we have such a strong team that went through such a process uh, to get us to this point. What was it like to prepare for this event with everything that's been going on in the last 16, 18 months? Yeah, it's it's different. You know, on one hand, training, well, working full-time, having a a family, three kids, is one aspect of it with all the COVID and restrictions and, and some of the changes we've made lately. Um, definitely had to be flexible and roll with the punches at the best that we could and try not to get distracted by all of that. When you were standing on the ground at Lord's Cricket Ground in, in nine years ago now, did you ever dream that you might be on another Olympic team within the decade? I would say somewhat yes, somewhat no. You know, Especially back then, you know, having some of the, the stomach issues I was having, um, I didn't anticipate really making a push in the next year or two got through that made a push for 2016 didn't make it um 2015 started making some technique changes that have finally kind of come to fruition and so it's exciting to be able to see that um working after i've worked so hard on it congratulations thank you thanks George. thank you sir so to to your point very clearly he uh he's right up there I did not realize he got that close. Um, checking overall, yeah, I guess he only finished three and a half points behind Jack, which is like in a in the way the trials process works. As lengthy as it is, as many points get allocated. Three and a half is very, very few. Yeah, it's uh, you know on the order of two percent difference. So, you know, at that point. With, I think, three sets to go, or I should say three uh, three matches to go, because it was a round-robin kind of situation those last couple of days. Um, at, at that point, um, Wookiee was second place, and it was only because of the way that things shook out that, uh, that he ended up third behind yeah. Jack. Jack shot well all week, consistently. He had a little bit of a, you know, a little bit of a struggle there for a little while. And when I say struggle, I mean, you know, shooting 57s instead of 58s. You know, Jack and Brady and Jacob all are in the 680 range. And that's the first time, as uh, as Jack here mentions, in a long Let's time. Let's be honest. They're shooting six. I mean, they all shot like they all had around, I think, 684 or better or thereabouts. Yeah. In, in Salt Lake, that's very difficult to do. It's never favorable i mean they they truthfully they had about as good of weather as you can ask for out here but that's not as good as you'll see elsewhere in the world either that's absolutely true and you know jack himself was very cognizant of just how well the team did as a team Uh, and we talked to him as soon as he stepped off the line and uh well let's just hear what he had to say a long event and a lot of work and the past year and a half have been unspeakable in terms of their impact i think but uh you have come through yeah i mean this event basically was almost 600 days long essentially because we had a complete stop didn't even know if it was going to happen halfway through and then finally was able to happen right at the last minute because we're leaving for france next week but it was 
definitely just kind of maintain yeah. was my attitude since the beginning. Yeah. All of last year with not going to anything was just maintain where you are. I knew I'm good enough to do whatever it takes. So just maintain that and don't lose anything. I think by any objective measure, you have a strong team that is really good shot now for Paris. Yeah, this is definitely a very strong team. We're all in 680 pace, which was really nice. Like we all got maximum bonus points. So being able to see that, I think that was the first time in a very long time on a U.S. field that we were able to see that. So that was good. Congratulations. Thank you. Now, Brady Ellison found this to be a, a long, hard week. Um, he actually said that this was the first trials that he actually struggled at a little bit. He had an equipment failure. He got that fixed. And then he was trying to build trust back in his shop the rest of the week. And um, Brady, you know, after I talked to him immediately after he got off the field, Brady made a couple of points. One, um, you know, it was a tough week. But two, he's pretty happy about the alternate, Matt Nofel, as well. Brady Ellison, you are once again uh, since 2008, 2012, 2016. And here we are, 2022 for the 20, 2021, rather, for the 2020 Olympic Games. And it has been a long journey, but uh, you're back with a, a familiar teammate. Yeah, um, it's pretty awesome that Wilkie came back and, and made the team uh, this trials. He shot really well. He said he's been putting the work in. And, um, you know, when we had the weather, he's shooting 680 pace. And so I'm, I'm actually really excited. I think that uh, uh, no matter how it ended up, Matt Nofel or Wookie on the team, um, we, we would have been really uh, really strong. Uh, we have to go now and get our spots for Paris. I'm, I'm pretty confident that, that we're going to go do that now. And I, and I do believe that we have, we have a very strong chance to win a medal at the games again. What are your plans for preparation for Paris? Um, so SoCal and world team trials. <laughs> and then, um, I haven't heard yet if, if they're going to try to have a camp in like Chula Vista, uh, right now, the, the plan is we're going to go to Paris early and have a camp there, uh, but it just depends on logistics and uh, getting into France and that kind of stuff on whether if we get there and have to quarantine or if, if we just show up the day before, if they just let us go straight into the tournament. Um, those are still some things that we have to figure out. So uh, pretty much all of us are just going to go do what we have to do individually, and then we'll show up and figure it out for the teams. Congratulations. Thank you. So, you know, Brady's... Uh... You know, jumping right back into the fire, just like everybody else, headed down to the world trials that are going to be taking place. You'll be there as well, Steve. Correct. Yes. Now, the women's lineup is one with a lot less experience, to be honest. Um, obviously, we've got 17-year-old, and that's hard to wrap my mind around with the scores she's shooting, but 17-year-old Casey Caulfield. Uh, and she is the number one qualifier on the team. So Casey is going to Tokyo. There's no question that she will be the main qualifier. And, and you know, uh, she won the slot for the U.S. at the Pan American Games. So it is fitting that uh, she is the number one qualifier. And the rest of the team, uh, you know, Matt Mack, Mackenzie Brown, shot the 2016 Olympic Games, has a lot of experience. Stayed right up there with Casey, uh, certainly just a little behind, but uh, capable of the same kinds of scores. And then we have a third member of the team with no international experience. It's an 18-year-old named Jennifer Musino Fernandez. Um, obviously a, a big deal for, for someone like her to be able to make an Olympic team. Uh, she's coached by her mom, 
and they pretty much learned archery on their own. So this is one heck of a door to open for your first international competition experience. Now, unfortunately, we weren't able to catch the women before the uh, drug control marshals took them off to get drug tested after, uh, after the uh, last arrows. But I was able to talk to Coach Lee. And here's what he had to say, Coach Kisik Lee, about the team in general and the women in particular. We're here with Coach Kisik Lee of the United States. And Coach, um, you've got a strong men's team. Mm-hmm. Um, you've got the best women's team that mm-hmm. we could get right now. And we're looking at a situation where the next focus, of course, will be to try to get those team slots for Paris. What's the plan? I think they did great. And I'm very happy with uh, what I have with, uh, with uh, the people who made the team for Olympic as a USA team. And this is what actually 120% more than what I expected. So I'm very happy and we're ready. And we're going to SoCal next week and then Paris. So on the American men's team side, you have some veterans, you've got Brady, and now you've got Jacob Wookie. And Jack has been strong for the last Mm -hmm. couple of years. So that prospect is looking really pretty good. I believe so too, you know, especially Jacob Wookie as an Olympian 2012, and everyone trusts in him, so he can, do the job so that that actually boosts up all the men's team competence as well. Thank you, coach. Congratulations. Okay. So, you know, one of the big assets I think that the women's team has is, of course, Mac, um, the only woman to represent the United States in archery at the Rio Olympic Games and pretty much the leader right now um, from the standpoint of kind of being their mentor, um, maybe a role model. And she's got that experience, and she really has a strong desire to qualify a full team for Paris, which, quite frankly, is not going to be very easy. They have to podium in order to get somebody besides Casey to be able to go. Um, And that's just the stark reality as things stand right now at the Games. Just getting to Paris is going to be a big deal. I was talking to Casey's mom, Carol Hoffold. And they had to get birth certificates, proof of residency, uh, a history of medical, medical stuff, all sorts of hoops that the entire team is going to have to go through on their way to Paris. And I, I think Jack might have alluded to, you know, the, the difficulty of getting there. Um, it's, it's not, they're not making it terribly easy. Uh, the, ta- the team did have a taste of what we're going to call the, uh, the COVID bubble. Um, if you've looked at the playbook for the Tokyo Olympic Games, which was released recently and will be updated in the next two weeks, uh, it's going to be a very locked down Olympic Games. As we speak right now, Steve, I honestly don't think we're going to have spectators. Um, I, I hope I'm being a little pessimistic, but I don't think we're going to have live spectators at Yume no Shima. Um, you're only going to see a bus, your room and the venue, that's it. Um, no opportunity to go outside the venue, no opportunity to do any sightseeing. You know, Tom Dillon and I, we talked about this a few times uh, starting in February, and we knew that was going to be some of what was going to be encountered. But this is going to be one tight event. And, and they got a taste of that. The, uh, the center was locked down. If you wanted to look at the men's side, you had to walk all the way around the building on the outside and go to a small spectator area and, and, and back. Um, obviously for good reason, uh, we don't want any athletes, uh, getting a positive test and being prohibited from being able to compete 
but either the world trials coming up or the SoCal or any of the other major things going on, but particularly getting ready to go to Paris. Um, and, you know, as a matter of safety, that is another reason why it's important for us to have a strong alternate. Uh, Catalina Noriega is the uh, alternate for the women and uh, a very capable shooter as well. And, you know, again, Matt Nofel, who had the highest arrow average through the trials, um, a strong alternate for the United States. So that that aspect of things is pretty well covered. But, man, it's going to be a whole different Olympic Games experience this time. Uh, yeah, I mean, I I don't expect – well, who, who knows about having some people present or whatever. Obviously, it's probably not going to be people from outside the country – that would be allowed to be spectators, but uh, no, definitely not. That's absolutely not going to be the case yeah. this time around. I'm sure they'll figure something out. Things are starting to work that direction and they'll, they'll, uh, the money will speak, but yeah. Uh, yeah. regardless, they're going to know it's the Olympic games. It's just like when we were in Vegas and there was no one there really. It was but still it really Vegas. felt like Vegas. Anyway. We all knew yeah. it, you know, when we're on yeah. the shooting line, we all knew it. Yeah. So yeah. It, yeah, the old, you're not going to tell me that the pressure was less for you shooting in those finals in Vegas without having a crowd behind you because the pressure had to be the same. I mean, you had yeah. serious money at, at risk and, you know, you had a lot of uh, the, the very best shooters there. I can't imagine that it would have been less of an experience while you're shooting. Right. You're still competing for the title. So it... Uh... I don't think they'll have an issue feeling like they're at the Olympic games, but it is it going to be the same. No, but for most of them, they won't know the difference. Yeah. I'm tend to agree. We're here with Rod Menzer, the CEO of USA archery and Rod, this has got to be a bit of a relief. It's, it, it's certainly a much better prospect, certainly for the men with two experienced Olympic veterans of the United States on board. It is. Um, but I will tell you, just getting through the whole trials process was the biggest thing. But the teams, both the men's and women's teams, they're ready to go. Um, I'm looking forward to Paris and we'll get our final slots. But we've got a solid team. I mean, strong, solid team. And with both Brady and with Jacob Wookie, the Olympians of 2012, for example, yeah, where they took home silver in the team round, beat the Koreans on their way there. Yeah. Um, and Jack being a strong, strong shooter for the last several years, uh, I'd say the prospects are really, really good for a podium in Paris. Uh, now, what kind of focus will you have to try to get the women up to that same level? You know, there, it was nice to see young ladies in this group, right? Um, and we, we've got, I mean, if you look at it, it's youth. They're there, and they're only getting better. Every single day, they're getting better. But we set five world records at this one. Three of those world records were women. Okay, so we're, we're you know, things are definitely on the upswing, and there's I, I really see good things in the future for USA Archery and the women's side as well as the men. Um, but, you know, when you look at the men's, you know, yesterday, for example, you know, you shoot a 72-year-old qualifier, um, you know, the top three men here were all above 680, you know, mid 680s, right? I mean, there's not many countries that can put three people, three people together on a team that can shoot mid, you know, 680s. And, um, you know, like I said, they're, they're going to push each other now. They're going to get a chance to practice with each other. And I expect great things. I really do. 
it's, it's going to be a lot of fun. I mean, this whole process was stressful. It was a dogfight to the end. I mean, it was amazing. And uh, I'm just very proud of them all. Hey, while we're uh, speaking of the Olympic trials here, it's a big event going on right now in Antalya, Turkey, where it's the European Championships, but also the Continental Qualifying Tournament to qualify slots for the Olympic Games for European countries. Um, and so far, the initial results show some preview of some of the people who are shooting for these slots and prominent among them, France. If we look at the uh, CQT for the recurve women for Antalya, we have Lisa Barbelin of France. Um, you know, the French team is really hoping to be able to secure some spots here. Um, she is going for it along with Melanie Galbil and her teammate, um, uh, Angeline Cohedan. Uh, Angeline is going to be shooting for France as well. Ironically enough, um, the woman from France that managed to medal at the World Cup in Switzerland is not in a position to make the Olympic team due to selection stuff that the French Federation has done. It's pretty amazing that such a big federation with so many enthusiastic archers, um, you know, just can't seem to field contending shooters right now. It's a little strange. So what's uh, give us the breakdown on this CQT. This is for individual spots, right? Correct. Yeah. Uh, some of these teams are going to still be able to shoot in Paris. So, you know, if they win slots at the CQT, they're in the same position as the United States has been, you know, with only one slot from Brady having earned a slot at the world championship in Netherlands, which seems like a lifetime ago now, but it was in 2019. And then Casey having won a slot for the United States at the Pan American games. Uh, this CQT puts other countries like France um, like Austria, like Lithuania, like Czech Republic, uh, like Spain, um, Turkey, Slovakia, Greece, Estonia, Ireland, those kinds of countries are looking to get that individual Olympic slot at this CQT. Now on the men's side, Turkey and Finland and Denmark, uh, Switzerland and Cyprus, Serbia, and surprisingly, Russia are in a position to try to earn slots along with countries like Poland, Belgium, Romania, uh, Hungary, uh, Finland. Those countries are all trying to get slots at the CQT for the recurve men. Now, if they can get a slot for the recurve men and a slot for the recurve women through the process at this CQT, they have a shot at a mixed team medal in Tokyo, just like the United States currently has a shot at a mixed team medal with Brady and with Casey no matter how things go in Paris. One way or another, we'll have a shot at a team medal, in this case, the first mixed team medal to be ever given at the Olympic Games for archery, and that will be uh, for the Tokyo Games, where the mixed team will make its debut. On that note, should the U.S. qualify a full men's or women's team or whatever, either one, have they already decided who the mixed team will be based off trials results, or are they going to do it based off of qualification at the Olympics? To the best of my knowledge, they will have the option of doing it from qualification at the games or by pre-selecting those people who are going to shoot. The smart move is to wait and see what happens in qualification, in, in my opinion. 
because, you know, stuff can happen. People can, you know, injuries can happen. A number of things can happen. So the smart move will be to do it off qualification and to, to see how that goes. Interestingly, World Cup is a separate event from, um, World Cup in Paris is a separate event from the Olympic qualifying round. And the Olympic qualifying round will happen before World Cup. And yes. that is to prevent the compounds from having to spend two days doing nothing, which is a good right. move. So uh, SoCal is coming up, and so are the world trials, which are associated with that. And uh, Steve, you're going to be shooting that. I imagine that Linda will be as well. Correct. So shifting gears, let's talk a, a little bit about your shooting and uh, and what plans you've got to get ready for that. I'm going to shoot my bow. I'm going to try to shoot the 10, and uh, that's the plan. Linda's got so. some good momentum going after having been in the finals in Lausanne, and uh, I would imagine she's in a good place mentally. Uh, she's got a little bit more confidence. Yeah, she's she's she wants to get a little sharper than where she's been, but, uh, you know, she's gotten through and at least gotten to some finals and all that. I'll just get a little, uh, little stronger throughout everything and pick up a point here or there and a point in each match. And that's, that's what you're trying to do this time of year, right? Just get, get one point better every 15 arrows or so. Absolutely. You know, I think that the, um, there was a preliminary for the world team trials, um, which started back in April, the first stage of that. And there were round robins from that. So currently the point standings have uh, you tied for fourth with Braden Galantine. Uh, so number one, currently, as things stand going into this next stage, Jimmy Lutz, the world champion. Um, yeah, Jimmy Morgan. Tate Morgan is second. And then um, not a lot separating Chris Schaff, who's third from you and Braden Galantine. And then there's a pretty good drop off after that. But, um, you know, either way, however you look at it. Now, are we sending three or are we sending four this time? Three, three for world okay. championships. And then one alternate, presumably. Yeah, I suppose. So your contenders, really, as things stand, points-wise right now, are Jimmy Lutz, Tate Morgan, Chris Schaff, Braden Galantine, and Big Cat Steve Anderson on the men's side. Now, on the women's side, uh, the point standings are showing Paige Pierce in first place. Um, pretty good, pretty good uh, lead over Alexis Ruiz, who's second. And then Linda is third right now as things stand. Uh, someone I'm not terribly familiar with is McKenna Proctor. She's fourth place right now. Right behind her is another World Cup circuit regular, Savannah Vanderweer. Um, Savannah is fifth. And then Cassidy Cox, Lexi Keller. You know, as I look at this list, I realize we've got really good depth in women's compound these days, don't we? It's getting there. That's for sure. It is getting there. There's no doubt. And so that's going to be a um, contentious event with Paige and Alexis and Linda and McKenna and Savannah and Cassidy and Lexi all vying for the three team spots for the United States as they head down to Chula Vista in the next few days. Yeah. And that's uh, that's just compound. I assume that recurve is decided off of Olympic trials. No, nope. uh, they, they've got a separate, it's going to be a separate thing. And right now, um, recurve team as it stands for the world championships includes Brady Ellison, who's in first place by a reasonably good margin, followed by Jack Williams, followed by Matt Nofel, 
And then you've got Matt Rika, uh, one of the RAs, uh, Oh Jun Su, who is shooting brilliantly. Um, he shot really well at the trials. Um, Tom Stanwood, who I had the pleasure of meeting at the trials. Tom is uh, tied for fifth. Joe Scarborough, Zach Garrett, who got cut after the cut to eight. Trenton Cowles, and uh, you've got about a six-way, seven-way, eight-way tie for 10th place, including Justin Hewish. And so I think that cut to the top eight pretty well decided uh, who's going to go on. We'll, we'll see Zach Garrett, Joe Scarborough, Tom Stanwood, uh, Mr. O, Mr. Rika, Mr. Nofel, Mr. Williams, and Mr. Ellison. For the women, for the recurve senior women, we are seeing Casey Coffold and Mac tied for points at 16 points each. Casey and Mac tied for first place going into the next stage of the world team trials. Following them is Gabrielle Sasai. And then we've got Jennifer Musino Fernandez, who is the third place woman for the team. We have Katuna Lorig in fifth, who was uh, cut at the cut to eight. Aaron Mickleberry, who ended up fifth in the Olympic trials. Alexandria Zuleta Visser, who was a uh, Olympic trials finalist, along with Catalina Noriega, who is the alternate for the USA. So, um, you know, that's that's a, a good mix of people who've got some momentum going into the trials process at Chula Vista. Yeah, and I don't know where, I guess they're finishing their trials here at SoCal as well. I, I don't know. I don't know their yeah. process. Yeah, that's the way that that's going to go. And I think that, you know, that whole process is is going to be positive from the standpoint of making sure everybody gets lots of arrows in and, you know, a little bit of pressure, shooting under pressure. Not that this past week wasn't pressure for the Olympic team and those trying to make the Olympic team. But for sure, this is a, uh, the cauldron that will forge a stronger team headed to Paris. Undoubtedly, cauldron of fire. Yep, cauldron of fire. No <laughs> I'm just doubt about stuff it. That sounds like Harry Potter. So, well, it, yeah, I mean, that's uh, you don't have to be a Harry Potter fan to understand that reference. It's a, it's a good one. Uh, By the way, the uh, European Championships themselves have been going on, of course, and um, you know, as we look at the at the uh, field for the European Championships, we'll be catching up with Tom Dillon and with Chris Wells from World Archery. We'll save that whole situation for a separate podcast but i can tell you all the european contenders are there everybody is eager to get back out there again um i'm impressed with a number of the shooters at the european championship um, and i would yeah. say that you know of all the of all the events that are going on right now this one in turkey absolutely is going to be a um a, a real firecracker because everybody is out there you got people like chef Vandenberg trying to get their season back on track along with Steve Weiler. Both of them didn't do as well at the last World Cup as they would have wished and certainly as their potential would have shown that they could do. Uh, Meat is there. Mikey, who's, who else is there? Meat. Oh, yeah. I was about to bring him up. Meat Gazos, Mete Gazos of Turkey. Uh, you know, Again, a guy who was on a roll and then, you know, kind of got derailed by the whole pandemic thing. But he is absolutely a contender for a medal if he can possibly get a slot to go in the first place, which is really his big problem right now, along with the rest of the Turkish recurve team. I'm looking at qualification scores. Uh, 
highlights, Tanya Galantine, 706. Yeah. Uh, men's recurve, nothing outstanding. I don't know when they shot, what the conditions were like. Women's if they were recurve, the typical Antalya conditions, I think, you know, you're going to see some wind, right? It's going to be a windy event. So uh, Sometimes, sometimes it's great. Yeah. Elena Asipova from Russia, 684, 23 points clear of second place in women's recurve. Yeah. Uh, and then Mike crushing souls, 716. The next closest yeah. was 709. And it must have been a good day because you had of seven away shoot off 65 people. You had 23 that shot 700 plus, and you have 10 that were 707 or better. Yeah. Uh, they had a shoot off. For fourth place with 707, 707, 707, 707, 707, 707, 707. Those shooters included uh, Josef Bosansky, Sergio Pagni, Jakob Yildiz, Tim Krippendorf, Ojnen Nejetkovi, Lukasz Przybilski, and Stefan Hansen. I think and, you said one of those names wrong. Yeah. It's Stefan Hansen. Yeah. <laughs> Everything else but, you nailed. But Mike Schlusser, man, 716, like you said, crushing souls, four points down, four down. He's Nico doing, Wiener. He's going to miss like fewer in qualification at major events this year. He's going to drop fewer points in every event than most guys like other world champions will in one event. This is the wristwatch year, right? This is the year of the precision prize, the Longines precision prize for the compounds, right? I don't know, but he's winning it probably. Whatever. I, I, they, they just Obviously need to size that strap count, But, right. you know, right. he, like 716. Anymore, if you're like, oh, Mike only shot 713. Must have been kind of crappy out there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Meanwhile, Nico Wiener from Austria shoots a 709, another score that would have been a soul-crushing score for the rest of the field. Right behind him, it's Viktor Kalashnikov of Russia with a 709. I mean, geez, it had to have been reasonably good weather, but yeah, 716. And uh, you, you just look at that, and, you know, that's um, He's not just doing it so routinely that it's like, I just well, have it... decided, I know where my, I know what the rest of my archery career holds, and I'm thankful that when I go up against Mike, it's in a 15, when it actually matters, it's over 15 arrows. Sure. Because very few people are going to beat him ever in a 72 arrow qualification. Correct. But you do have a shot. <laughs> it might be slim, but you do have a shot at beating him in 15 arrows. Cause you never know about that last shot from Mike. It can, it can go really well, or it can be very interesting to watch on TV. <laughs> yes. Uh, we'll just leave it at that. He's, he's gotten a little better, I think. I, yeah, he's been he's been pretty freaking solid. I, I, I uh, yeah, I don't I don't see a whole lot of weakness in his game right now. I think he's he's got to be the favorite to win most outdoor events because half the time all he needs to do is shoot a six to beat you. So you know. Yeah, uh, that's true that there, he does tend to have a bigger gap than than most when it does come down to a winning score. Um, compound women, by the way, for this event, um, you know, we you mentioned Tanya Galantine, who's absolutely on a roll after 
her very successful uh, outing at uh, Lausanne at the World Cup and looking at the individual compound women. So Tanya Galantine with a 706. Uh, Ella Gibson from GBR, who did pretty well at the last World Cup. Uh, she's coming out with a 703. Yesim Bostan back in action, the archer from Turkey with a 700 right there on the nose. Uh, Lola Grandjean of France is fourth with a 698. 696 for Sane Delat of Netherlands. And uh, the amazing Andrea Marcos of Spain, who of all the people that I know probably used her COVID lockdown downtime the best of anybody I know. She has transformed herself. She looks great. No comment from Steve. Oh, no, I wasn't really paying attention. Sorry. <laughs> Am I that boring? Sorry about that. I was just talking about what a great job Andrea Marcos did during the lockdown to get herself oh, yeah. in shape. Really in good shape. Shooting well. Seems Lots to of other great shooters out there. Yeah, for sure. Right. Got strong and, and is uh, shooting really well. Uh, Andrea she'll Marcos. Does funny and, things like when, you know, she'll shoot a shot, make a funny gesture. It's pretty funny to watch. Has personality for sure. Yeah. Sarah Lett for uh, Sarah Rett from Italy. Seventh, Irene Franchini of Italy. Eighth, Jody Vermeulen of Netherlands. Number nine and rounding out the top 10. It is Sophie Dodimont of France with a 692. Uh, not bad. World champion Natalia Abdieva was 14th. Marcella Tonioli, previous world champion, 18th. So, Steve, a big week for archery, um, both here and internationally. And it'll be very interesting to th see how things shake out. When, uh, when things wrap up at world championship trials, I'm going to want to talk to you again and, uh, and get your thoughts. And uh, looking forward to seeing you in action this upcoming week. Yeah. Um... Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm looking forward to having trials over and getting back to some other forms of archery. I, I, I don't know how I feel. I think I'm burnt on 50 meters a little bit. Well, it's interesting you should bring that up because Tom Dillon and I recently had a conversation where, you know, there is going to be a proposal at World Archery Congress. There will be actually several proposals to look at changing the round. Among those potential changes, things like 80 centimeter face at 70. If the round, if you were king and the round were up to you, what would you want to do right now? If you put the 80 centimeter face at 70, you're going to get a lot of people missing on even marginally windy days. Yeah. And club That's shoots won't shooters. be. Club shooters yeah. will be, yeah, they'll have to contest it on a 10 ring 80 centimeter face and that's going to be a mess. So that ain't going to work. 16, what about 60 meters? Yeah, sure. Okay. What about, uh, you remember the Atlantic City face? 92 centimeter face. Yep. Yeah, we shoot that, you know, at Dakota Classic from 60 yards. And it's indoors, obviously. And we're pretty much like, you better be clean when you're shooting a head-to-head -head match. Uh, and guys are shooting. at 70? Outdoors. See, that would be good, but you run into a target size issue unless you have uh, yeah you run into a target size issue you've got to have every separate shoot. butt for everybody yeah right yeah and that's kind of a pain so i i think current 80 centimeter face at 60 meters you know gets rid of having seven guys tied at 707 
which is phenomenal. You know, it could be dead calm. If I shoot a 707, I'm not that upset. You know, you're like, okay, that's just wasn't my best day, but I didn't shoot bad. So I like the idea of a balanced approach like you're talking about. First off, you're not making everybody buy all new target faces. Second of all, you have a situation where you can still do it on the same exact field. So you're not stretching out the field or causing problems for, you know, finding the right size field, et cetera. Third, it does give you just a little more separation between the, you know, the great shooters and the less great shooters yeah. in calm weather. Well, what I was referring to on the targets is if you go to a 92 centimeter, you can't fit four on the, on the target. Nope. No, you cannot. So that's the issue there. You don't want to shoot one face. Like no one wants to do that anymore. No, you don't want to crash arrows together from multiple archers. That's the problem. Yep. Everyone wants their own face. That's the way to keep it. If you if you really got to go, you know, multiple faces or whatever, I mean, I guess you would, uh, the best way to do that would be two. But two doesn't fit very well either. So, yeah, well, I think. Reduce, I think it down, he, reduce it down to an eight ring, you know. I mean, that would be another thing you could do. But, again, I, I think. Let's, yeah. let's, you know, not go, let's not go too nuts. I like the idea of the 80 centimeter face at 60. That extra 10 meters can make a big difference. Or 40 centimeter face at 30 meters. I think people would hate that. <laughs> I would hate that. Um, <laughs> now, 80, 80 centimeter face at 60. That's what it's been coming to. We can all see it. You know, not that people are going to say, well, well, no one's shooting perfect. Yeah, they're not. They're not. But the difference is you, you're struggling to get the cream to rise to the top sometimes. Uh, sans Mike, obviously. But it's just become a, a very – there's certainly nothing wrong with staying with the game we currently have. Certainly right. nothing wrong with it. But and, and it may turn out to be that that's what they decide. Yeah, I think they're gonna. They want it changed. They're gonna want to do something different. And the best solution is to go to sixty meters. It's very easy to do. Uh, a lot of us practice at sixty meters anyway. Like I, I practice at sixty yards, so I'm halfway there. Um, I have shot it at seventy meters. So I've done it. It's not a whole lot of fun. There's not a lot to aim at. So. Not something like if they go to 70 meters, my and my days at an on an 80 centimeter face, my days of shooting outdoor target are probably probably for sure done. I mean, it's just not well, I don't think you're alone fun. in that thought. I, I honestly think that the the right approach will be to stretch it out 10 meters or to leave it alone, one or the other. Because uh, even though we do see close to perfect scores, especially in 15 arrow rounds. Uh, nobody has cleaned it yet. You know, nobody has shot 720-72X. The other I'm aware of. No one shot 720. Right. The other, I mean, there's like two people who have shot 360. Right. Uh, the other dumb thing is we have the tiebreaker being the 10 ring, most 10s shot. And then we have the X count, which we all keep, but we don't use it as a tiebreaker. So right. dumb. I'm looking at European championships. And I thought, how easy would it have been for them to use the X count as a tiebreaker for that fourth through 10th place log jam? But absolutely. 
However, right I will there. point out people love watching shootoffs. I mean, spectators. Yeah, but have you ever? If that's the case, I have never seen a qualification shootoff that's been filmed and put on TV for people to see. Because no, you, yeah, you're talking about that eighth place bubble, and I agree. Yeah. You're right. Yeah, that's not a thing. So, <laughs> um, yeah, now here I am getting opinionated and whatnot, but. I, no. I just look at that. I'm like, why don't we use X count? You know, it would have, it would have changed it quite a bit, quite a bit. So no doubt. Absolutely. Because when you look at this thing, uh, you look at this shoot off situation, you have a guy like, uh, Yosef with a, you know, 17 and five. So 30 X, you've got he a would guy be right like, where he's at. He yes. would be in fourth. Sergio would be in fifth. And then it's six through 10 that you'd have a shake up. Yep. You know, you'd have nine would go to six, six would go to seven. It, it would jumble around like that. So that's one thing. If you want to leave the round, here's, here's another thing. Here's another thing. Don't do, uh, don't do head to head matches. Change this. So where don't do head to heads until you get down to four guys, eight guys, whatever, shoot another 36 arrows and, and separate them from there. Yeah, make a cut. Shoot thirty-six arrows. Make a cut. It takes a little longer, kind of, but what you do is you guarantee that you're going to put your best archers on TV every time. And that's what it's. That's what it's about. If you want to grow the game? You got to have the personalities up there. Absolutely, and I think that that's actually a really good thought. There's one. Well, Steve, the I, uh, I wish you a good trip to California, and uh, you know, shoot strong. Same to Linda. And we'll Thank see you. you when you get back on the flip side. Yeah, later's on the men, Jay.